Hello and welcome to Thriving on the Spectrum, the podcast dedicated to empowering and supporting young adults with autism on their journey towards a fulfilling life. I'm your host, Arpita Mohan, and together we'll explore invaluable insights, expert advice, and personal stories that shed light on the unique opportunities and challenges young adults with autism encounter. So if you're a parent, caregiver, friend, or ally, Join us as we explore possibilities to help young adults with autism thrive. Today, we're in conversation with Akhila Vedinathan, the founder and director of the Amaze Charitable Trust, to discuss more about meaningful engagement and the options to foster independent living for autistic adults. Akhila set up the Amaze Charitable Trust in 2012 when she felt the need for a skill training institute for her son, Nishant, who is autistic. Based out of Coimbatore, India, Amaze focuses on helping families navigate the autism maze through skill training programs and capacity building. A software professional, Akila has initiated many innovative programs aimed at bringing the best of technology to ease the lives of persons with disabilities. She has worked closely with Cantridge and helped build our communication program that has been a game changer for all our trainees. She's full of warmth and compassion and ever willing to share her knowledge and expertise. Hi, Akila. We're very excited to have you on today's episode. Hi, Arpita. I'm also excited to be here. The relationship I've had with Cambridge has been really precious over the last uh, couple of years. So look forward to this episode. That sounds absolutely great. And Akhila, just to get us started, we've been looking at different avenues for meaningfully engaging autistic young individuals so far. So in our earlier episodes, we had looked at supported employment in the community, entrepreneurship, music and art as examples. So through Amaze, you've been involved in designing some very innovative means of engaging young adults. So could you tell us a little bit more about um, these initiatives? Sure. So as you were mentioning, Amaze is a space we created about 10 years ago when my son was about 17. He's a non-speaking autistic individual and he's also very active and happy-go-lucky by nature. And um, uh, mainstream uh, schools were, you know, uh, a little bit difficult for him in terms of academic demands after some time. And special schools were a bit repetitive and boring for him. So we were looking at a space to explore new avenues of engagement. And at that point, really, we didn't know what it was going to be. So what we decided to do was just follow his interests. He had a, a love for outdoors and nature um, and, and fitness-related activities. Uh, technology was his companion, his tool, and he loved food and cooking. So we literally started it as a lab space. For him and five or six other adults who were each very different from one another. So currently one works with SAP labs for the past eight years. The other is content with art-based activities and farm-based activities. Another is a long-distance cyclist and the fourth is an aspiring singer today and finished his grade two Trinity exams. So, um, you know, Nishant and his uh, friend Gokul are both into art and graphics as well as a bit of cooking and baking. And they also follow a fitness regime. So you can see, you know, we 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 started somewhere and each one has gone uh, into whatever they like. So that is the basic framework uh, 
that we uh, tried to create at uh, Amaze. What I realized when I worked with these other individuals is that while I'd worked on Nishan's communication and literacy from an early age using technology-based tools, I found the others had learned more using a copy-paste, wrote, imitation way. And they were not really expressing their thoughts and feelings, even though some of them were able to even speak. So we interweaved technology as a core element of our programs using AAC tools, low tech like PEX or AVAS or Clicker to give them a voice. And we also started using MS Office based lessons to help them with their functional literacy. So technology literally is not, uh, you know, anything only high tech. It is by definition anything that makes our life more easier. So we adapted anything and everything in their routine that will help them to become more communicative and independent. So from an apple cutter to an onion chopper or a calling bell to a cloth folder, an iPad stand or a book stand, a visual recipe or a visual schedule, all this is technology that we use uh, to scaffold all their processes. And we also followed a process-based approach rather than a piecemeal approach, wherein we did not teach them different steps of a process separately and then put it together, but rather we took them through the entire steps with or without support and then connected those processes to back to their literacy and communication goals. For example, um, today may be the first day a student or a trainee is learning to make a particular dish. We involve them from the planning stage as to how many portions, checking the stock available, making the shopping list, shopping for the ingredients, uh, you know, trying to calculate how much money is needed, traveling to the sh shop, maybe on foot or uh, using a vehicle, prepping the ingredients in terms of, uh, you know, cleaning, cutting, the actual cooking, baking process, cleaning up, washing the utensils, serving the portion. So this whole process, they go through right from the beginning. And then we link this back to their computer-based worksheets. Uh, they may help to create a visual recipe, take photographs or download from the internet. And now they, in fact, some of them, Nishant and Gokul, are creating graphics that we can use in the worksheets. Of course, they get to eat what they make too. So they are completely involved. And this helps them to connect the dots. The recipe, the steps, the ingredients, the list will be also available on their AAC like AWAS so the student can communicate maybe that they need an ingredient or that a step was missed. And over time, they're able to use these tools even to complete a new recipe, understand variations in terms of portions, etc. So we're talking about students here with moderate to severe impairment. And uh, we've seen their involvement, confidence, initiative, and creativity grow by leaps and bounds with this approach. And uh, also in terms of work, they're doing stuff beyond, like in terms of technical work. They're doing things beyond data entry and typing. They're able to create content. Like I said, they're creating graphics, worksheets for themselves, for others. So, you know, it's been a game changer technology for us. That sounds really great, just how, you know, process driven and like technology enable the whole experiences. I mean, yeah, as you mentioned, too, I mean, everything is super like digitized and tech driven these days. So it's really lovely to see how integrated the whole approach is at Amaze. 
Um, going back to one of the points that you mentioned, you mentioned how your son loves being outdoors. Um, you've also done a lot of interesting work around connecting young adults with nature with a lot of focus on outdoor activities and sports. Uh, could you tell us a bit more about those initiatives as well? Yeah, sure. I believe that nature is a great healer and it's also all-inclusive. Wherein in a, a social framework, many of our youngsters may feel out of place and develop certain social anxieties, but in nature, they feel totally accepted. And I've seen this. So many of our youngsters are also very physically able and active. So we decided to make this a part of a co our core aspect also of our offerings. So on a regular basis, we do have an outdoor space where the youngsters complete their fitness routines under a trainer. And we felt this is more effective even than a gym as they get to use the space in their own bodies for their routines. And we also have commonplace things like tires and balls, etc. for that. They also play some group sports on some days. We also went very deep into cycling. And, you know, we decided that they'll cycle on the regular roads. And this really gives them a sense of confidence again, you know, being in the community. Some of them, like my son, they do five to seven kilometers, two to three times a week. But a couple of students uh, went beyond. They took to long distance cycling and started cycling with a local cycling group. And these young men were willing to wake up at 4 a.m. and cycle 50 to 100 kilometers on the weekend, eat at the roadside joints with the cyclists, put up with the road and weather conditions just for the love of the sport. So there also they were trained by a specialist trainer for this. So, uh, you know, um, pre-pandemic, we'd also tied up with a swimming, local swimming pool, uh, where they could go swimming twice a week. And we also uh, have yoga, brain gym kind of programs, movement-based games. So there's a lot of choice and scope that uh, we give them. Um, uh, this all came from, you know, again, as a family, we always loved the outdoors and made it a habit to go trekking, walking, swimming almost every weekend. If we had a longer break, we'd be on a new beach or a trail or a mountainside. So or do a river walk or a picnic um, in a field. So it was one of, in one of these trips, uh, we were in Kunur in the Nilgiris and we visited NALS, which is the National Adventure and Leadership School. They had uh, trekking activities and rope-based adventure activities like the zipline, Burma Bridge and sloth walk, rappelling kind of activities. And Nishant and Nivriti, who is my daughter, loved these activities. And uh, we also discovered they had some basic lodging and they were, you know, outdoors experts. So I thought, why not, you know, try and get them to, you know, conduct annual adventure camps. So 2011, I think, is when we opened up uh, such camps to the other special needs families like ours. And it was a great hit. We got to connect with families from across the country. Children had a safe space to explore nature and adventure. And parents were quite amazed to see at the ease with, with the, which their children took to these activities and how they pushed their own limits and how nature was such a calming tool. So we've done about 20 camps in Nals since then. And we've also taken this to another site. We've done another six camps in a site, uh, the Camps Water's Edge near Lonavla, near Pune, where in that site they get to stay in tents, explore kayaking and river-based activities also. So this has been a you know great hit uh, with the children, with the families. 
and in fact some uh, with amaze because people think uh, some people think that's all we do adventure <laughs> because it's the fun part and on a regular basis too in our outdoor space we've installed some of these rope based activities and they help with uh, building motor coordination as well as confid uh, confidence in the students who have some anxiety with heights and all that so they can practice before they go on to the camp seven and uh, some of our students uh, in fact these students you know were feeling were the ones who were very claustrophobic in a building they didn't like to sit inside the building and constantly wanted to run to the you know sand area or pluck leaves so we started a farm internship for them and that's been going on for the past 5 6 years where they are able to play with the soil pull the leaves as much as they want walk and run plant and harvest and be a part of nature cycle so that's been their space for you know uh, where they are you know peaceful and happy so yeah we've uh, interacted with nature and sports in different ways and found it all to be beneficial and the thing is that one size doesn't fit all so some of them are into farming some are into cycling some are into both so it's a lot of options now that sounds really great and yeah exactly to that point i felt that's what i heard from it that it, there wasn't like a one way approach like you would sort of tailoring it to people's different preferences and even the whole idea of the farm internship that's really interesting and like super innovative and different as well and yeah i agree with your view on how you know being in touch with nature is something that is very exciting for a lot of people even for me i love being outdoors so i can completely understand that the feeling of connection when you're outside as well um this has been super interesting in terms of talking about how we identify different avenues for meaningful engagement i'm kind of interested in switching gears at this point and talking a bit more about living arrangements so over the last few years uh, we've seen many different models that have come up in terms of long term care and long term living arrangements for autistic people so you've also been actually involved in a lot of these initiatives in your own ways so could you tell us a bit more about what drives these different models Hmm. So one of the questions uh, we, uh, as parents, are constantly trying to answer is that of what after us, isn't it? And this is the core question that drives any of these models. So this was surely on our minds, and early enough, like almost fifteen years ago, when our son was still little, he was just twelve, thirteen years old. This was because he seemed to need specialized support in terms of communication and regulating himself, and it looked like that's going to stay. Like you know, uh, till they are twelve, thirteen, we are always hopeful they're going to get better, they're going to you know learn more. But at, around that age is when we realize that you know these are the things, challenges that they're going to have. This is the level of support probably they're going to need lifelong. so um we again with this whole quest we had no preconceived ideas and we tried to honestly explore all possible options actually we already had some experience with uh, residential care for some individuals known to our family one of them was 18 years old and the person this is long ago like you know the person is probably my age or something now Uh, the person was considered unmanageable because of challenging behaviors and was placed in a residential care and the other person was a skilled trained person who had done 10 12th 
computer courses, worked as an accounts assistant. But however, once his mother passed away and his father had passed on earlier, and he was around 50 and his sibling was not around, was living abroad or something like that, had to be placed in a residential center. And we personally saw that they did not really thrive in these uh, centers, which were very well designed, where they were run by specialists, um, you know, and it was quite high, the cost of care, they were good, uh, you know, institutions. But when we analyzed those cases, it was mainly probably due to these individuals being uprooted from their existing homes, families and routines where they were thriving and moved to a place where they didn't feel they belong. That was one of the things. And also these spaces were run in a medical model, so to say, and the avenues for uh, meaningful engagement for these individuals was not uh, exactly there. And there was also restricted interaction with the community. So these were the the baseline that we started, that, that we, I mean, my husband and I started with this baseline in exploring what would uh, work maybe for Nishant or what do we want for him. And at the other end, we also saw families where parents continued to be the primary caregivers till the end. And in some cases, the siblings stepped in, but otherwise at some point, institutional care seemed inevitable. So that seemed to be the baseline. So uh, it just happened that my husband, Sriram, he was working at that time with this group called Kowe, which is now called Kowe Properties. And they were in the space of providing dignified living and support for the elderly. And this was, seemed to be a very refreshing approach where a person could buy freehold property, get the required support and care in their old age in a community living setup. And they could pursue their interests, they could come in and out, they could stay as active as they wanted and still get medical, nursing, housekeeping, you know, catering, caregiving, maintenance, whatever support they needed. And it's fully accessible, wheelchair accessible, had assisted care, etc. So an idea stemmed over many discussions with some others and Colonel Sridharan of Kovai Care, who, uh, and it resulted in Kovai committing to make their retirement com communities more inclusive uh, for persons of for parents or per families, I must say, or persons with disabilities, and uh, you know where uh, the the parents who are getting old could move into this community with their children with disability, and the children could continue to live with them or near them, and they'd be set into a routine with community-based engagement and be supported and cared for after their parents' time also, both by the senior community and the other parents, you know, similar with familiar, who are familiar with them and have similar uh, children uh, with the similar kind of challenges perhaps. And also the COVID care services team would be, you know, trained and sensitized to support this. So my husband, Sriram, worked on what is called as a master document plan, which served as the backbone for this um, model. And a framework was built around it. And this model is a reality today, with 20 families living in Anur, in Kowai Chinmayam, five in Kowai Ultra Sulur, and a few in Kowai Tapovan Mysore. They're living this reality and working on a safe and meaningful future for their children. So it's a small number. But it seems to be, you know, working as of now. Of course, there's a long way to go to see how it works. There are a couple of individuals living there now uh, where the parents have passed on and the community is supporting them.
So it is a reality. And in the past five to six years, we've also seen multiple models come up in the space, right? Places like Ananda in Delhi, run by AFA, um, Autism Ashram in Hyderabad, and now in Gujarat, the um, ARC in Vellore, where individuals can live lifelong with support. And these places also have meaningful engagement uh, built into their systems. And uh, there are also parent communities like CLAPS in Chennai, Nishchintan, Kerala, even the Autism Guardians Village in Hyderabad, where parents and PWDs or persons with disabilities live together in, in an exclusive community. Uh, there have been initiatives uh, like Arunima and as well for a long time. Arunima came, I think, before all this. And then ALAP, where they're exploring group homes in the mainstream community itself. And a similar all-inclusive model was proposed, right, by Scan Chennai, which had the parents living as well as the group homes. So lots and lots of models are coming up, and it's lovely to see this space grow and evolve. But I feel we've still a long way to go till we plug in all the supports in place, because there is still a challenge of, uh, you know, having people, you know, the correct people supporting caregivers, Training is a big area which needs to be plugged in. Medical support, uh, medical insurance, uh, somewhere we're getting with that, with the IRDI, making it compulsory to give insurance to our individuals. But it's still, you know, uh, a long battle with the medical uh, spaces being accessible for our individuals. Um, also, uh, you know, the whole engagement piece itself, there are just a few models across the country, uh, they need, it needs to be scaled up in a large way because I feel that is the core. Engagement is the core to the success. The living is the secondary system. The primary thing is if the individual is engaged and uh, happy, then the rest can come in. You know, almost the whole day then is taken care of. And then, you know, the rest of the food and the living and the sleeping and the medical can be then taken care of even in the mainstream community perhaps so yeah that's where we seem to be with this now that makes a lot of sense and really love you know a lot of the points that you mentioned there i mean first just in terms of how you identified you know COVID and exactly like saw that there was a potential for that to be translated to something for you know persons with disabilities too so that was really beautiful how you identified that and just, yeah, another point to note, a lot of the initiatives that you mentioned are also people who we'd have as guests in subsequent episodes. So we'd love to hear a bit more about those models as we go through in those uh, specific initiatives as well. Um, again, here you mentioned, you know, that there has been progress, there have been like steps taken in the right direction, but you still see that there are things that need to be done generally in terms of like long-term care options. And you mentioned some of those specific questions as well that you feel like are still unanswered. So as a parent, um, what are some of the dilemmas that you feel like you're still facing when you think of these long-term care options for your son, Nishant? So um, like um, any other family, and even more so than others perhaps, uh, my husband and I have been very closely involved as caregivers for our child, you know, both of us quit our careers at some stage or the other and uh, made uh, this our business, like, you know, to uh, find answers to, you know, for him and as well as the community. Uh, 
um, and I sadly lost my husband four months ago. It was a sudden loss. And we just had a couple of weeks after his diagnosis. So the what after us has become a present tense with one of us gone already. So um, one of the positive observations for me personally, now I'm coming to Nishan, was in that 18 to 20 days I was in the hospital with my husband. He coped very well at home. He was independent with his routines at home, at the center. He was helpful to my mother who was actually at that time caring for my dad who was suffering from end-stage Parkinson's. He cooperated with the caregivers, uh, the root, you know, whoever uh, was supervising him. He also um, sort of understood and accepted his father's passing with a lot of grace, I feel. And he's almost taken the, on the role of the man of the house. He brings in the milk in the morning and locks the doors at night. Um, he worries if I'm upset or sad and he's right next to me with a tissue and a hug if I need it. In fact, three days ago when I just got back from travel and was, uh, you know, just crashed out on my bed, uh, he came in quietly and covered me with my razai and gave me a kiss. So I thought that was the ultimate thing. So I see uh, that, you know, uh, emotionally and in terms of his, uh, you know, his own self, his routine, he's coping with the what after us. But he certainly... Uh, cannot, uh, you know, uh, manage it without the structure in place. He needs, uh, you know, finances. He cannot manage. So there are a lot of those questions that come up, uh, you know. And uh, so there are the dilemma in the mind is that we would, uh, we would like this to go on. Like, you know, even when I talk to him, he does type and he says, I would like to be home. I'd like to stay with the family. That's in the future when I say, when you're older, what would you like to do? Would you like to live with friends? Would you like to, he says, I like, I want to live with family. So for currently his family is us. And of course he does have a younger sibling, which is great. But um, so uh, the question of who's going to be his family when we are not around is is a big question mark uh, he has close relationship with the with the caregivers his you know facilitators and all that but there are still people who come and go from outside we don't have any sort of live in person so i keep thinking whether that is an option but then that you know i'm not sure about that at all that whether some external person can come and live in and become family um so uh, the question the question marks so is the place where is he going to live is he going to continue to stay at home or do we look at a group home or do we you know um move into uh, the assisted living like you know um or in the residential care all these because if he moves out of this home and goes into an institution then he loses his whole routine and family which is what is making him go through he's gone through the worst thing in his life four months ago and he's coped because he has the stability um <laughs> you know and but then uh if he if i've also gone i'm not sure whether that can continue the stability he does need somebody who's closely understands him and supervises him and they do his facilitate amaze gives him that stability so my hope is if he can continue to go to a maze and he can be supported at home with a group of caregivers who can uh, 
take care of whatever if it is uh, written out or structured and it is supervised by a group of parents or siblings or whoever it might be that would be the ideal solution for him but i don't know if that's going to be uh, you know possible or not that is the dilemma that all of us as parents i think uh, sort of live with um so i'm just hoping for that i guess you couldn't have said it any better and there were very like very important and interesting questions that he had in there that i guess are very hard to answer immediately but things to consider as you know individuals are planning as to what they want to consider for their children what feels right what feels wrong is very different in each one's perspective so these are definitely um you know factors to consider as you go through um this actually brings us to the end of the episode it's been really lovely chatting with you but before we wrap up i wanted to ask you if you have any other last thoughts that you would love to share with us as well yeah i just i wanted to summarize the last bit because i went into a little bit of a emotional space so uh, when you look at the structure of it what are the factors is what we were trying to talk about so at one end is the quality of life for that uh, individual and what they want uh, you know to do their choice also as to what they want their life to be at the other end is their safety and uh, the resources in terms of the money the place and the people are the factors that finally determine what uh, you know is possible i guess for these individuals i really hope we have more and more answers to these uh, questions in the f- near future absolutely well, thank you so much akla it was lovely talking to you this whole episode was really interesting for us because it talks about two of the key tracks that we want to cover in our, our podcast as well so you've really touched on both these aspects really well for us and really set the tone for the next phase which is going to talk about living arrangements so thank you so much and your insights were really really valuable thank you so much for joining us today If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform so you never miss an episode filled with inspiration, support, and hope. On our next episode, we will be joined by Nina Wag and we'll cover topics related to living arrangements at Alap. Until next time, take care, stay positive, and keep thriving.